As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. The Athletic Football Show is presented by State Farm. Because like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get a quote today. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Today's Wednesday, December 1st, which is wild to say, but here we are. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today, the Athletic Zone, Dane Brugler. Dane, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How you doing, Robert? I am doing great. I am so glad that we're having you on today. It's perfect timing for a couple different reasons. One, your first mock draft came out on The Athletic on Tuesday. Please, if you guys have not gone and checked that out, do so. Mock draft season is a wonderful season. It means the draft season soon is to be upon us, which I'm always interested in. And two... We have conference championship games this weekend. So this is one of the last little nuggets of college football that NFL watchers like me, who are very casual about college football, can just settle in, figure out who they're supposed to be watching, who they're not. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to dig into your first mock, and we're going to give people a little bit of a viewing guide before a very big weekend in the college football world. One more quick note before we actually dig into all of this. You're going to be taking Prospects to Pros, the podcast that you do with Lance Zerline, to... The Athletic Football Show feed, starting after the season, right as draft season ramps up, which we are very excited about, and I hope that our listeners are excited as well. Yeah, I I get tweets, I think, almost uh, almost every day asking, when's the pod coming back? When's the pod coming back? (laughs) Well, it's almost here, and yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun being part of the the football show umbrella, and uh, yeah, I can't wait to get going with that. It's going to be great. So we're still going to figure out exact timing for that. But obviously, as the Senior Bowl ramps up, as draft season ramps up, you guys can find Prospects to Pros in our feed. It's going to be a great way to kind of round out our draft coverage as we head into our second offseason with the show, which I'm very excited about. All right, let's get to the mock and let's start at the top. We were talking about this a little bit 
before we started the show. So I do not watch a lot of college football. That is something it's important to preface this entire conversation with that. I am the most casual of college football fans. Every once in a while, I will sit down on a Saturday when I don't have much else to do and I'm not doing other things like being in a relationship and having a family and all that other stuff that I have to do on Saturdays, and I'll watch a game or two. A few weeks ago, I settled in because my fiance was out of town and I watched Michigan, Michigan State. And I'm watching the game, I'm like, man, 97 for Michigan, he's got some juice to him. Like, that guy seems pretty good. I wonder who he is. Fast forward a little bit more than a month later. And Aiden Hutchinson, who is that guy, is number one in your mock draft. It's probably a good sign for me as a football watcher that I can watch <laughs> a guy and be like, he seems good, and he's the number one prospect in college football. Yeah, and you know what? It's just the timing's there because against Ohio State uh, on Saturday, he finished with uh, 15 pressures, according Jeez. to PFF, which is the most uh, they've charted at the, in the col- in college football since they started doing it, I think, in 2014. So, uh, yeah, he, he's had himself a heck of a year. I mean, he's the type of guy that he could have gone out last year and been a first-round pick. He came back, he had an injury, um, and he – he one scout called him the, the lost Watt brother to me because – of the way he carries himself, the football passion. He's got a quote from Media Days uh, over the summer where he he said, you know, I, I love this so much. I will die for this. And you know what? I kind of believe him a little bit. <laughs> he's, he's that type of dude. Um, you know, his dad was an All-American at Michigan. Uh, his dad's now a, a uh, works in an ER. He's an emergency room physician in Michigan. Um, but this is a this is a guy who productive. Uh, he just checks all the boxes. Yeah. I, I, you want athleticism? Okay. Well, he was number two on Bruce Feldman's freak list. Uh, he's a guy that's going to test well at the combine for six five uh, or six six, two hundred and sixty, two hundred sixty five pounds. Uh, production? Okay. Well, he just set the Michigan single season sack record uh, with thirteen sacks this year. He's number two in all of college football in pressures. Um, and then, you know, we talk about personality, play personality, competitiveness. This is what really sets him apart. I mean, he is that that Watt, J.J. Watt, T.J. Watt mold of the way he carries himself, the way he competes. And so, you know what? I, I know I um, surprised some people having him at number one in the mock draft. But I mean, really, when you look at it, let's just do a process of elimination here. If we're not going to consider a quarterback at number one, which is just where we are right now with how, you know, getting feedback from the league and just, you know, looking at these quarterbacks. I, I don't think we're going to see a quarterback go number one this year. And then, okay, there's a few tackles that are interesting. Well, I don't think Detroit's going to take a tackle at one with their, you know, taking Sewell last year and uh, Taylor Decker still in the fold. So you're running out of players here and you come down to two guys, Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon and Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. And when you really break down Hutchinson's game, he just seems like the perfect Dan Campbell player with everything that he wants. Uh, I mean, Hutchinson is a Detroit native or just outside of Detroit. That doesn't matter as much. It's a great story, but just everything else that goes with the player, uh, his production, his athleticism, uh, the way he wins versus run in the pass. Um, now, I will say that this year's top of the draft is not something that is going to be compared favorably to past drafts at the top. That's um, what I was going to ask you. Yeah, and that's and that's well, I'll put it this way: I started off my mock draft, the intro, by saying. I don't think this is a bad draft. And usually when you start that way, probably means maybe a little bit, <laughs> maybe a little bit, but you know what? There, there's a lot of first round players uh, in this, in this draft. There will be pro bowlers that come out of this class. Uh, but I think if you are looking for those top 10 guys, you know, the, the elite, the blue chippers, this draft just doesn't have a lot of those guys this year. Uh, if, if Aiden Hutchinson was in last year's draft, 
I, I was looking at it and I'm like, okay, where does he go? Maybe 10, maybe 14. Like, I mean, he's, he's he, even Thibodeau. Thibodeau, I, I think has kind of been, he's been number one for so long for a lot of people that we, you know, I think a lot of people think of him as Miles Garrett or Chase Young or the Bosa brothers. He's just not that level of prospect. He's really good. I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau is really good, but he's not that level of prospect. And so uh, if the Lions end up with the number one pick, Aiden Hutchinson, I think, is absolutely in the conversation. It's funny that you said he was the lost Watt brother, because when I was watching him, really good hands. The yep. inside move is nasty. I was like, well, it's, it's like Bosa-ish. And then when yep. you combine that, because the thing about the Watts, outside of just the temperament, the Watts are otherworldly athletes. Like if you look at their testing numbers, it's out of control how crazy athletic those two guys are. The Bosa's are twitchy and explosive, but it's not right. close to what the Watts are physically. So you're combining kind of that refined element to his game that he clearly has in the little bit that I've watched him with those traits. And that's just a scary combination. And like you said, you start checking boxes. When you have the mindset, when you have the physical tools, when you have the production, at a certain point, what are we doing here? I mean, that's all you need to see is when you start checking all that stuff off. So I want to talk about just that idea of when you have a guy like this at number one and how it compares to other drafts. So in the past 10 years, I believe there's only been three drafts where a quarterback did not go number one overall. 2017 is the most recent one, 2014, and 2013. 2017 is the weirdest class we will have in a long, long time, right? Right. You have arguably a, a future Hall of Fame quarterback goes off the board at 11. You have a top five quarterback when he's played go off the board at 10, and Mitchell Trubisky goes at two. Yeah. It'll, it'll be the strangest quarterback draft class we've seen in a long, long time. Miles Garrett is has been that guy, right? He was yeah. that guy forever, where he was yep. the number one recruit, the number one pick in the draft walking onto campus at Texas A&M. So that one's interesting. 2014, kind of similar, right? Connie yep. goes number one. Yep. Connie was always that guy. From the moment that Connie was in high school, he was the number one pick in the draft. And you have a down quarterback class. Bortles goes at number three. Derek Carr goes in the second round. Maybe the best second round pick as a quarterback since Drew Brees, right? Like you just don't find guys in that range. Dalton yeah. maybe is in Dal that conversation. Yeah. Dalton and Kaepernick were second rounders. But yeah, no, I think you're right. So that, and again, kind of a strange class. And then right. 2013. Talk about this. You don't think this is a bad draft? 2013 <laughs> uh, is a bad draft. I mean, terrible. a notoriously bad draft. If you look right. at the top 10 of that draft, it's just bust after bust after bust. You had Fisher go number one. He ended up becoming a decent player, but then Luke right. Jokel goes number two. I mean, you look at that entire group. It's awful. So it kind of – I don't want to lump this in automatically just because there's no quarterback at the top. But when you right. look back at some of these other classes, there's been some weirdness – in years where we have not had those one or two quarterback prospects. And it feels like we're drifting in that direction again. Right. And it, it, this isn't like, we don't have to put this draft class on 2013 alert because I don't think it's that level bad, but you know, I, I do think that when you look at it, we don't have the quarterbacks and we don't have the, the high, we don't have the miles Garrett's, you know, it, but the, the Browns in 2017 needed a quarterback so bad but nobody blamed them for taking Miles Garrett number one over any of those quarterbacks because just, yeah, he was that guy. This year, uh, it just, yeah, we don't – Kayvon Thibodeau is a really good player. Aiden Hutchinson is a really good player. I like both of these tackles at the top with Evan Neal from Alabama, uh, Iki Aquanu from NC State. Uh, and, but then we start getting into maybe some, uh, you know, value questions. A guy like Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame. 
he, you could argue he's the most talented player in this class, but are you taking a safety top five? Are you taking a safety top seven? I, it, it just, every team's going to look at that a little bit differently. So I, this is just I, I, not a great year to have a top 10 pick. If you're looking for, you know, rel- relative to past years, if you're looking for that, the high end has a very high percentage chance to become a pro bowler. This just is not just not a great year for that type of player. But with that said, there is still plenty of talent in this draft. So if you're Detroit, you get the Rams first in 2023 again. So hopefully there's a world where if the quarterbacks are better, which I want to ask you about in a second, mm-hmm. you can make a move. Even if you have the eighth overall pick, if you have eight and 26, can you get to four or whatever? They still have draft capital to kind of build this thing and maybe find their quarterback down the road. So just very quickly, what does the 2023 quarterback class look like early on? Yeah, it's obviously, I think, you know, much better. I, I you, Just looking forward, looking ahead, C.J. Stroud from Ohio State looks like he's going to be a guy that's going to be in that conversation, only a redshirt freshman now. But the poise that he shows, uh, some of the way, the way he can layer the football down the field is really impressive. So I think C.J. Stroud will be in that conversation. And then Bryce Young uh, for Alabama, not very impressive physically, but he's so sharp, so smart, so poised. I I think Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, both those guys are going to be top five picks in 2023. So if you're a team like Detroit, where you're probably going to be in the quarterback market still then, that gives you some hope. So let's get to to another team that's going to be looking for a quarterback, maybe not next year, and that's the Texans at two. You have Kayvon Thibodeau going there from Oregon. This is a guy I've heard of, right? That's that's the kind of prospect he is, is I've heard his name over the last couple of years. I'm just wondering, is there anything about what his 2021 looked like that you felt like dropped him below Hutchinson? Or do you feel like Hutchinson was just so good that that's why they slot in this way? Well, and I, I think it's really, it comes down, because I'm not saying Aiden Hutchinson's now the favorite to go to number one. I, okay. I, I think that, you know, uh, if you look at Detroit specifically, I, I would not be surprised if they went for Hutchinson over Thibodeau, just with some of the dynamics of the player h- himself. Now, if the Texans have the number one overall pick, maybe, you know, we switch and Thibodeau is now projected to go number one. I, I think you could make a case for either one of these guys and there won't be a consensus um, with, with Thibodeau. I think he's been as, as advertised. The only thing I wish we had is I wish he would have played against Ohio state. That way we could have had a common opponent. Uh, with both Hutchinson and Thibodeau going up against that Ohio State offensive line. Uh, but he's, he was hurt. He missed three or four weeks. Uh, but he, when he's on the field, he's been productive. Uh, you know, he reminds me of a a longer, stronger version of Harold Landry. And that's, I think a lot of people would kind of roll their eyes at that. We're talking about, a you know, a guy potentially at number one overall. At, you know, But Harold Landry has got double-digit sacks this year. He's one of like seven guys that already have double-digit sacks. I, I think Thibodeau's a, lot, a much better run player than Landry. Um, and he's a little bit longer. The way he can use his bend, the way he can use that little jab step to set up a, a, a swipe, a swim, and just the different ways he can get around the, the, the offensive tackle. Um, and he plays with power. Um, and he's not Hutchinson in terms of this fiery guy with just you know the motor and competitive, but he's, he's not a passive guy at all. I mean, he, he had a, a personal foul on, on Saturday against Oregon State where he just picked up the, the running back and threw him to the ground. So he is a guy that has a lot of that, that fire that you need that you're looking for from a pass rusher in the top five picks. Um, I don't think it's anything that he has not done, but I think it's just Aiden Hutchinson when he, at the end of the day, he belongs uh, near the top of the draft. And, and again, I, as much as I like Thibodeau, he's just not in that generational, you know, mix. He's not Miles Garrett. He's not Bosa. He's not, uh, you know, uh, these top level pass rushers like a Chase Young, 
where, you know, you, you know, from the day Chase Young's first game ever as a, as an NFL rookie, he had like a sack, a forced fumble. Like you just knew he, he belonged. He was going to be a top 10 pass rusher in the NFL pretty quickly with Thibodeau. I just, you don't see that type of ceiling necessarily. He doesn't have that body type, uh, but he's a really good player. Someone that can come in and, and be a, a starter, a guy that's going to lead your team in sacks. He's going to be disruptive. Um, so he's a really good player. It's similar conversation about the Texans that we have about the Lions. It's square one. Yeah. I mean, you're just trying to find building blocks at this point. Jonathan Greenard has been good for them. Mm-hmm. It was somebody that has kind of come on in a way that you might not have expected. And you know, that's the benefit of being a rebuilding team is that you have guys like that get a lot of opportunities and like you can unearth some guys in that way. But they're starting over and you find a high quality, high impact position and a guy that has been a really high level prospect for a couple of years. So it makes a lot of sense. Evan Neal is another name that I've heard a decent amount thrown around on the offensive line Twitter spaces, and you have him going at number three to Jacksonville. Jags obviously need help along the offensive line. Cam Robinson's on the franchise tag. Who knows what's going to happen with Jawan Taylor? I mean, they feel like they're closer to, again, square one than it might have seemed like coming into the year. Looking at an Evan Neal, where would you compare him to just in terms of other top-level tackle prospects that we've seen in the last five to ten years? Yeah, he's really unique because of just the way he his size, the way he moves. Um, you know, he's listed at about 6'7, 355. I mean, he is a humongous <laughs> guy. Um, you know, uh, my buddy Ben Fennel compared him to um oh, who is the uh Leonard Davis, uh, you know, but back in the day playing for the Cardinals and the Cowboys. Uh, you know, he he's just a big mauler who can also move. He's a really flexible guy. Um, I, I think that he, when you look at the Jaguars, they need to protect Trevor Lawrence, Urban Meyer. He's a line of scrimmage guy. He's going to want to upgrade that offensive line. Evan Neal is a guy that can do that. And, and you also like the positional flexibility as a freshman started at right guard as a sophomore started at right tackle. Now as a junior, he moved over to left tackle and he's made that uh, transition pretty seamlessly. Uh, he's just a really good blocker who moves well for that size, has power. Uh, he's he's a player that I don't think you have to talk yourself into. It's interesting how Alabama, just by virtue of the talent glut that they've had at that position over the last five years, almost yep. by necessity has to cross-train people. <laughs> I mean, think about even Leatherwood was like that, right? He had to play multiple positions. I mean, they've bounced yep. around like a lot of guys. Have they had like a day one left tackle that's played there for multiple years? Was Jonah Williams like that? I say a Jonah Williams, maybe. Uh, but yeah, Even no, Will's I, played on the right side. I mean, it's, yeah, it's kind of wild. Right. right. It's just they kind of they, they find they replace these guys, and it, it, their whole thing is getting the best five on the field, and so they find ways to do that. And and really, I think that that might be the biggest difference between this year's Alabama and past year's Alabama is their offensive line, except for Evan Neal, is not the offensive line we've come to expect from Alabama, and that's why you know they they've had some troubles on offense. Why they scored what, you know, three points against Auburn for 95% of that game. So, you know, that offensive line this year has not been up to the standards that we've usually ex- come to expect from Alabama, except for Evan Neal of tackle. It's interesting because if you look at it, I mean, offensive tackles used to be in the conversation to go number one overall. Talk about yeah. Eric Fisher did that in 2013. I mean, you think about the Jake Longs of the world. I mean, it used to happen. There hasn't been an offensive tackle drafted in the top three since 2014. It's, it'll oh. be eight years now. If Neil were to go in the top three and I'm wondering, I think that's just a quarterback thing, right? It's because mm-hmm. we had so many quarterbacks go one and two that it's always a question, right? When you're looking at these things in a big picture way, it's almost funny when you talk about the two pass rushers at the top, because last year we had a class devoid of pass rushers. So there was this kind of started to get the ball rolling of 
well, our, is, is football transition where there aren't as many pass rushers coming out? And now the top two picks are pass rushers. So I don't like making sweeping generalizations about, well, a tackle hasn't gone in the top three in eight years. What does that mean? It's sometimes hard to find that balance a little bit when you're talking about this stuff. Right. And I, I mean, I think if, even it, like in hindsight, if we go back to the, the 2020 draft and, you know, we kind of do a redraft there, uh, you know, Joe Burrow still goes high. Chase Young still goes high. Uh, Justin Herbert still goes high, but you know, the tackles that were in that class with Becton and Wills and Werfs, uh, I mean, th those guys are going to go much higher than they went in that class. So I, yeah, it, it's, that's a, it's a really surprising stat that you pulled up that the tackle has not gone top three in so long, but this is that type of draft where we could see, yeah. I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw two, I think Quanu could get in there as well. I just tackles are in this type of class with no quarterbacks that you feel great about tackles are especially these two guys are in an easy position to talk yourself into that high let's do this on the cuff when i have not made you prepare and it's going to be really mean to do if we're redrafting the 2020 draft justin herbert goes number one right yeah so justin herbert goes number one if you're Washington, washington do. yeah i i think you probably pick burrow at two yeah, right? I, you have to i think you have to i, I think you have to as good as chase i mean chase young's awesome we saw we saw a Washington defense play pretty well last night on Monday Night Football against a, 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 an inconsistent Seahawks offense. But uh, I mean, as good as Chase Young is, I think you have to go Joe Burrow too. There, I think you go Burrow at two. Number three, that that's the real conversation, right? right? For me, it's Justin Jefferson. Ooh, okay. I uh, think I would go Jefferson there. I, the conversation there for me would be between Jefferson, Chase Young, and Wirfs. Mm -hmm. And I think right now, Wirfs is awesome. Yeah. But I think you could make an argument that Justin Jefferson is a top three receiver in the league right now. I, I wish I could disagree with you, but I, I mean, I, I think you're right on. Um, I, I, I think I would want to lean Chase Young just because it would be harder. I think it's harder to find a pass rusher of Chase Young's caliber but I mean, I, man, that's tough. I, Chase Young, I, I, as much as I like Worfs, I think it comes down to Jefferson or Young for me. Um, and I, I lean Young, but I absolutely understand where, where you're coming from with Jefferson. For me, here's, here's the distinction to me. Chase Young is still a projection. Chase Young, you're still betting on potential to a certain extent. It's right. limitless potential. I could understand making the bet. We did a non-quarterback draft this, this summer. And mm -hmm. I picked Chase Young number two just because I still believed in where he was going. But I think over the first half of the season, before he got hurt even, you didn't see that step forward that you might have hoped. And with Jefferson, you did. With Jefferson, he is right. a full-blown superstar. So I'm betting more on the certainty there. With Chase Young, there's still a little gap between what he can be and what he is. And you have to be confident that that gap is going to get closed. Poor, poor Eagles fans are listening to this just <laughs> crying in their – crying tears of Jalen Rager going one pick ahead of Jefferson in that draft. <laughs> All right. Well, enough of me being <laughs> sappy about Justin Jefferson. We do that enough on this show. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. Speaking of the Eagles, let's get to the number four pick here, because this is where shit gets weird with this draft, right? I mean, this has never happened before. There's no doubt this has never happened before. So four through eight, you have three teams here. Four through nine, you have three teams here with back-to-back picks as things <laughs> currently stand. The Jets are at four and five, the Giants are at five and six, and the Eagles are at seven and eight. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Cr- it's crazy to see it stacked up like this. So with the Jets, who have four, and then obviously they have the Seahawks pick at five, you had them going Derek Stingley from LSU, the cornerback, another guy I've heard of, mm-hmm. and Ike McWanu, who is somebody that I've seen Brandon Thorne tweet about a bunch, and that's how I've heard of him. Makes a ton of sense, right? You have one of the yep. worst teams in the NFL. You'd hope that you get some building blocks with Becton, AVT. Now you have Elijah Moore. But on defense, Carl Lawson's there to a big contract. They have John Franklin Myers. But for the most part, you can go any way you want. Their cornerback group is non-existent. Right. So drafting, again, two premium positions in the top five for what is still a rebuilding team, to me, on its face, makes sense. Right. Absolutely. And Equanu in a lot of ways is kind of like a, a mini Becton. Uh, and I, and I say mini, really Equanu is six, four, you know, 325 pounds. Everyone's a mini Becton. Every exactly. human being is a mini, is a mini Mackay Becton, no matter how big he is. Right. So Equanu, but he's that type of explosive player. I mean, they run a lot of outside zone and this you, watching this guy move is really impressive. He's so powerful, so explosive with his upper body. Um, he moves well. I mean, he, he has a bad tendency of oversetting and this and that, but he's kind of a late bloomer. I mean, he was not – His he's a twin, and his, his uh, brother, his twin brother, was the more highly recruited kid. He's a backup at Notre Dame. This guy was only a three-star, goes to NC State, starts from day one. It, 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 he's gotten better every year, every game, it seems like. Uh, and he's been used interchangeably, guard and tackle – and he's done an outstanding job. So Iquanu is is a big time talent. The traits are just off the charts with him. Uh, and then with Stingley, yeah, I mean, you want to upgrade your defense in some way with one of these premium picks. And you know, it's funny because Kyle Hamilton's right there, but 
Joe Douglas is not drafting a safety top five overall when it just, he doesn't, that's not a position that he holds in that regard. I mean, we saw it with the whole Jamal Adams thing. Yeah. So, you know, it, looking at the, who's available, stealing makes sense. They have a bunch of corners on their roster that look like number twos, maybe number threes. They just don't have that number one guy. And I think Stingley could be that guy. Although with Stingley, he's a little bit of a wild card too. He had that phenomenal freshman year when the year LSU won it all uh, two years ago. Last year as a sophomore, he was good, wasn't on the same level. Uh, no one on that team was. But then this year, he basically missed the entire year with a foot injury. So interviews, the medicals, they will be very important for Stingley to go this high, even though the talent does warrant it. How do you reconcile that when you're talking to teams and you're thinking about how they sort through that conversation where you have that out of this world freshman year and then we're looking at two full years since he's been that version of that player. What does that conversation look like? Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, it, there's a, there's reasons and there's excuses. And mm-hmm. with a guy like, like Stingley last year, that LSU defense with, you know, a new coordinator, they're bringing in a whole new scheme, asking him to do some different things. Uh, and, you know, they, they didn't have uh, – who was that at the corner on the other side that year? Um, went to the Titans in the second round. I'm blanking on his name. Christian but, Fulton? Uh, yeah, Fulton. Thank you. Uh, so, you know, he was the guy. He was the number one corner for LSU last year. And, you know, there were some up and down moments, but he played pretty well. This year, it's really about the medicals. It's, re- you know, as long as the foot injury in is, is okay, I think, you know, the doctors sign off, you're feeling pretty good about Stingley. But it's just, okay, where is his – his mind been at this last two years, uh, you know, just making sure the interviews go well, the, the medicals go well. It's a little bit of a, you know, it, it, a little nerve wracking when you're talking about a top five pick, but I think you just go back and watch those freshman highlights and say, okay, this is, this is the guy we're getting. In terms of play style, is he like a man to man corner? Like what are his strengths? What, what makes him stick out as a sort of prospect? Yeah, I, well, I think that he can do. He can play zone. He can play man to man. You know, he his ability to turn and run and find the football is just outstanding. Um, you know, he uh, it does not panic. Kind of like you know, Sertan last year. There's no panic in his play. Uh, he feels he feels fine on an island. Uh, you know, he will drive on the football. Uh, he, once he gets a, once he locates the ball, he will make plays. He looks like a wide receiver out there. So um, he just a, he could be an all around playmaker. I think he might be what the Lions thought they were getting with Jeffrey Okuda. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that, that type of player. So you know if if you're drafting a Stingley top five, that's what you're hoping for. And I think he can be that type of player. It's funny because you think of the Jets and Sala and that like Seattle system. They, they have transitioned so far away from that. Right. I mean, even in San Francisco, they're running a ton more quarters. And you look at the numbers right now. You know, on third down, the Jets have the second highest man coverage rate in the entire NFL. Wow. 63% of their third down snaps are in man coverage. The only team that's with a higher rate right now in the league is the Dolphins. Hmm. That Jeez. might be because they're worried about those guys and just communication. And you're saying, hey, we're playing man. You have this guy. This is easier. But they right. did. They were sprinkling a lot more man at the end of his time in San Francisco. So the fact that they're willing to play like that, if you bring in a guy that you feel comfortable saying, you're our number one guy. This is what you're going to do for us. It actually makes more sense with the way their defense is structured than it might seem like at first glance, which is interesting to me. Yeah, no, no question. I think that. You know, for a guy like Derek Stingley, that, that makes more sense for them to go in that direction to get that number one corner that they've been missing. So the Giants, <laughs> sticking in the New York metro area, have two picks after that. Here's where I defend the Bears, all right? Mm-hmm. Seattle giving away a top five pick for Jamal Adams. The moment 
that comes to fruition, where the season actually ends and we see the transference of power with that picks <laughs> and the transfer of ownership happen, that right. is heartbreaking for Seahawks fans. Uh, At yeah. least in the Bears case here, you did it for a quarterback. You yeah. do it every single time. No matter oh. what happens with Justin Fields, 100%. you do it every single time. So that's how I'm taking some solace in the Bears handing away the fifth or sixth overall pick to the Giants in this scenario. So the Giants, I mean, there are so many just fascinating parts of this, right? Is Dave Gettleman going to be making these picks? Right. Is Daniel Jones going to be the quarterback? There's so many different directions that they could go. But your two picks that you gave them, first one is Devin Lloyd, who is an off-ball linebacker from Utah. I have no idea who Devin Lloyd is, but the fact that he's an off-ball linebacker going this high, find that interesting. Mm -hmm. What about him do you think makes him worthy of consideration in the top 10 at, at that position? He's, you know, I feel like this term gets overused, but you know, that, that defensive chess piece, you know, like that, that's what he is. And I think that you look at the giants, they're in a division with the Cowboys who are using Micah Parsons, like this, you know, uh, maniac who can line up anywhere in the front seven and either create pressure, shut down the run. He can, you know, carry tight ends or running backs. He just, well, do all these do the different things. And I, I think that you look at what Devin Lloyd can be, he's not quite on that Micah Parsons level. No one really is in terms of size, speed, strength. But Devin Lloyd is that style of player. He is explosive. His range is outstanding. He sees the field really, really well. He's a former safety uh, who converted the linebacker at Utah, put on the weight. And this guy just makes plays up and down the field. Uh, you know, hit, hit, you feel his tackles on tape. He, he explodes in the contact. Uh, he's, I think it's three or four interceptions already this year Two he brought back for touchdowns. So he is a defensive playmaker. And I, you look at the giants linebacker, probably not their top need, but again, you look at what the Cowboys are doing with Micah Parsons. I think that Devin Lloyd can be that style of player style of defensive playmaker for you. A guy that has instincts, has chase speed, has explosiveness. He can blitz, he can run, he can cover. I, you know, I, I think if you are looking for a defensive playmaker, Lloyd makes sense. Who's the secondary coach or defensive coordinator at Utah right now? Uh, Morgan Scally. He's been there for you know, seven, eight years now. He's been there for a while. They run that four, two, five kind of base and uh, get really creative with the, with the linebackers. Uh, you know, they shut down Oregon, you know, a couple of years, a couple of weeks ago, we're going to see them again, uh, Oregon and Utah this weekend, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. Seems like a lot of back seven guys from Utah coming out and have played well. I mean, Jalen yeah. Johnson, obviously, Julian Blackman, Terrell yep. Burgess was the third round pick in 2020. Feels like they just have gotten production out of those positions. I feel like something's in the water with, with their back seven players out there. Yeah, no, no question. They, they recruit athletes. I mean, again, Devin Lloyd was a safety that, you know, was 200 pounds, uh, not highly recruited, was a three star guy. Uh, he was originally committed to UNLV until Utah kind of got a hold of him. He redshirted. They put weight on him, moved to linebacker, and he's really turned into this rangy playmaker that, you know, has played Will, has played, they, they call it a Mac position, played Rover for him. So could do a lot of things with Devin Lloyd. What, do you, what are your personal biases when it comes to recruiting pedigree and draft prospects? Do you feel like you're able to kind of dismiss, like, oh, he's a third round, or he's a three-star, but he's come a long way? Or do you feel like you give the benefit of the doubt to guys who were all Americans, who were supposed to be the guys coming out? One of my, I mean, the, the reason, one of the reasons I love doing the draft guide every year is I love learning about these guys journey is mm -hmm. it, it is it's such an important part. It's such an important piece of the puzzle. 
is understanding, okay, was he just a late bloomer? Was he a guy that just needed a kick in the butt? Why was he a three-star and not a five-star? Why this? Why that? Maybe he went to a school that, you know, graduated 100 kids and just didn't get the looks and all these different things. And so it's that, you know, Justin Jefferson, he was a three-star, originally a two-star who, you know, had to, you know, it was like one of the final recruits in that uh, LSU recruiting class. Chris Olave, who's is also in this first round uh, you know, mock draft. He was, uh, his quarterback was the reason everyone was going to see him in San Diego or going to see that, that program in San Diego. And all of a sudden, Brian Day got a hold of this receiver that was catching passes uh, from this quarterback and said, hey, he's not bad. Three-star Olave is one of the lowest recruits in Ohio State's recruiting class that year. And, you know, he has a good chance to be a first-round pick. So it's just really interesting to look at. I think it's important. I, in every single report, I include, okay, what, how, what, what their stars, who is recruiting them, what, what went into their decision to go where they did, you know, why were they under-recruited, why did, you know, the, just the circumstances were what they were. It's just an important, you know, part of the puzzle. And that's why, as an evaluator, you have to be part – detective you have to be part mm -hmm. uh you know just you have to go digging and figure all out all these details of the why so sticking with the giants here they you have them drafting a center seventh <laughs> yeah. overall tyler lindenbaum from iowa which I, I a guy that i have heard about and you think about just the offensive line factory that iowa has been but like you note in your mock draft today it has been a long long time since the center was drafted in the top 10 why is this guy worth it why, why would you be willing to kind of eschew positional value in this particular circumstance? Part of it is this draft class. When you look yeah. at it and say, okay, well, who is the, the seventh best player in this class? You know, it, Tyler Linderbaum could be that guy. Um, and I, part of it is if, if Gettleman is still the GM, still making these decisions, uh, he, Linderbaum just screams Gettleman, uh, you know, with just the, the way he, I don't know the if way he a good plays, or bad thing. <laughs> well, no, it, it's, it's more reality than anything more yeah. than good or bad, uh, with Linderbaum. I mean, you see the quickness, his ability to reach block is just, it's exceptionally so quick. I mean, he's, almost, he's what teams wanted Garrett Bradbury to be, you know, like just that the athletic, the, he's going to punch you in the mouth. He's going to finish every single play. Um, you know, he's got that Jason Kelsey to him where he's not the biggest dude, but he overcomes that because he plays so quick, so hard, so aggressive, uh, so active with his hands. Um, you know, it, there's just a lot to like about uh, Linderbaum that if, if you're picking top 10 and you need an upgrade on your offensive line, it, it just it's not hard to talk yourself into uh, Linderbaum, even if it is top 10. You know, we saw. Uh, you know, a tight end be drafted higher than any other tight end ever last year. And I don't think, you know, not too many people were disagreeing with that. And I think it'd kind of be similar with Linderbaum if he ends up sneaking into that top 10. My only argument with that would be that Pitts was such a generational prospect in terms of physical tools. And right. with a guy like that, you can blur lines, right? Yeah. He's a tight right. end. In reality, he's just a receiver. So you right. can talk yourself into that. Your center is just going to be a center. And you mentioned right. Jason Kelsey. Jason Kelsey was a six-round pick, yeah. and that's the argument. I, I think centers are incredibly valuable, especially mm -hmm. if you're going to be moving on from a quarterback, if you're going to be looking for another young quarterback in the next couple of years. Having somebody you trust at that position is huge, but where can you find those guys? I think that's the argument. But if he's that kind of prospect, you're not going to hear me <laughs> decry drafting a center in the top 10 if he's deserving. I'm, I love that. But to me, the question is, what does this team look like? Where do they want to go? I have no idea what this offseason for the Giants should look like. I mean, you think about what their spring last year was, right? 
You draft Kadarius Toney in the first round. You give Kenny Galladay a $20 million free agent deal. It, it, I have no idea what their path out of this version of the roster is. And having two picks in the top 10 will help, but Lord knows which direction those are going to go in. Well, and, it, and that's why doing a mock draft at this point in the process is tough because, yeah, we don't, who are who's going to be making totally. these picks? Who's going to be the head coach? Um, you know, if, if they do stand pat with the, the current structure, okay, well, then they're going to make an important hired offensive coordinator. And, you know, they're, what, so they're just, yeah, there's a lot of, unknown we don't know there but i'm with you i'm fascinated to see what direction the giants go in after the season especially at quarterback that that's where it's really interesting because daniel jones there's so much that you point to and say you know he could do this he could do this he could do this but it just seems like the game moves way too fast for him and when it does he's not accurate he's not hitting the guy in stride uh the pocket swallows him up and so what they do at quarterback you know the, the giants could be maybe this is where we see the first quarterback off the board that's very possible so you look at the next two picks. The Eagles have those two. The Eagles have their pick and the Dolphins pick. They also have a pick at number 14. <laughs> There's a lot yep. of things happening here, right? So the yep. three guys you had going to the Eagles are Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame, we talked about. George Karloftis, is that how you pronounce that? That's it. Yep. The Purdue edge rusher. And N'Kobe Dean, the linebacker from Georgia at 14. Three defensive players. Speaks to a couple different things in my mind. One how transformative this draft could be for the Eagles if they make all these picks, right? Right. The offense, questions of quarterback aside, which we'll get to in a second, but you got you like the offensive line, what Mylotta has turned into, Lane Johnson's playing really well, you like Devontae Smith. On defense, their entire secondary outside of Darius Slayer free agents, so you mm-hmm. could remake that group. They don't have any linebackers. They haven't for the last decade. So if you want to go someone there, we know they love edge rushers. So these picks all make sense to me. The biggest question with the Eagles is going to be, are they going to use these picks to remake their defense and remake their roster on the fly? Or are these picks going to go somewhere else for a quarterback? And is another team going to be making three picks in the first round or two more picks in the first round to remake their roster? That is the central question about what the Eagles are going to do here over the next year. Yeah, it's it's the Jalen Hurts question. Um, And do you... I don't know that Jalen Hurts has done enough that you're you're buying in. Okay, we're we're going to definitely build around him for the future, but he he's probably done enough where you want to see him another year. Um, and I'm not sure there's another quarterback in this draft that you say, okay, well he's a clear upgrade for us. Um, and so yeah, it I wouldn't be surprised if we see the Eagles try to turn one of these first round picks into a first round pick next year. So yep. they have that ammo going into the 2023 draft. So if if the Hertz does not work out, then they can go make a move. So I, I I would agree it's probably less likely they make all three picks here. But if they do, and when we should point out, it's the that that pick at 14 is in the Colts pick that I think it's pretty close to turning into that first round pick. It's what 70 percent. Uh, oh, Carson there. Wentz, yeah, yeah. unless Carson Wentz goes down with an injury or something, uh, it, that that's going to happen. So it, it, it's going to be interesting which direction the Eagles go. And if they do, if they go this route, which is this is upgrading the defense, there's going to be some players to do it. In this scenario, Kyle Hamilton's available. Like I said, he might be the best just overall talent in this draft. Um, he's a hybrid safety who's, you know, six, three and a half, 220 pounds. Uh, his range is exceptional. He's, he's a guy that sees the field, the whole field really well, makes plays sideline to sideline. Uh, his anticipation is awesome. So uh, as long as you're comfortable drafting a safety that early, Kyle Hamilton's a home run. Carl Laftis is a little tough because he's uh, he doesn't have the length that you want. He, he's an, a great story. Born in Greece, came over here when he was in eighth grade, 
uh, and, and really is just the motor's outstanding. You talk about skilled hands, Karloftis, that's, that's what he has. He's so impressive with his hand exchange, his hand work. Um, but, you know, I know some teams that have a second round grade on him. Other teams think he's going top 20. So Karloftis is a little bit of a uh, all over the place in terms of what teams think about him. And then the Kobe Dean at 14, Jonathan Vilma 2.0. Uh, you know, you're, you're addressing every level of the defense here for the Eagles. And I, the Eagles traditionally don't draft linebackers in the first round. But when you got three of them and, you know, linebacker is an area where you need to get better. Uh, Dean could be a guy that breaks that streak. I want to talk about Hamilton for a second because I'm just so interested in guys like this who kind of fall between the cracks positionally and whether we construe that as a good or bad thing. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at him, where would you play him? In an ideal world, if we're even talking Eagles aside, where would you put him in the NFL if you were starting from scratch? Um, you know, I, I think that's part of the appeal with him is you can be, you can use him in different ways. If you want him to, uh, cause this is how they use him at Notre Dame uh, and that Marcus Freeman scheme. I mean, they would line him up single high. They'll line him up, uh, you know, split safety. They'll line him up, uh, closer to the box. I mean, he can do all these things because, you know, he has a little bit of linebacker to him. He has the range of a safety. So I think part of the appeal with Kyle Hamilton is using that versatility, using yeah. that ability to play all these different spots, uh, whether it's man, whether it's zone, uh, you know, he, he's got that rare range, that that, that long striding speed. Uh, he, he's so good from depth where he sees plays happening and he doesn't think about it. Just click, boom, go. And he's making plays. And so he, he's he got the physical traits and that mentality that will impact the scoreboard. He is that type of dude, natural football instincts. So it, he's an easy guy to like. Now he also had a, a knee injury that that's kept him off the field the second half of Notre Dame season. So the the medicals will be important with with him. But uh, I think he was number three on Bruce Feldman's freak list, like that that type of athlete. Plus, I think he has the instincts to match, and that that's a really lethal combination. We talk about safety because I, I the more and more I talk with you know have conversations with scouts and coaches, and we talk about the safety position. It's all about mentality. It's all about. Yeah. You have to understand what is going because you know in a lot of ways you know the linebacker mirrors the running back, corner mirrors the wide receiver, the safety you're mirroring the quarterback. So you have to be smarter than the quarterback and understand okay what is he seeing, what does he want to do. You have to play one step ahead, and Kyle Hamilton could potentially do that. It's, it's such an interesting point. I think it's 100 percent right, and that's why I feel like scouting safeties is such an art in the way that things yeah. currently work because with how complex some of the zone coverages are and some of the things that you need to do. I mean, obviously the Rams and what they did with John Johnson and with Jordan Fuller last year is the thing that jumps out to me where you're playing all of those split safety shells. And I mean, you're asking them to just read route distribution mm -hmm. in this really advanced way. And it's so much between the ears. And that's why I think when we fall in love with back seven players that have these physical profiles, it can be the reason that we're a little disappointed at first, right? Like when Isaiah Simmons came out, I'm not comparing the two necessarily, but you have this guy with this incredible array of physical gifts. Like, oh, he can play all of these different places. That's well, not, it's harder to do with it than it might seem. I mean, that's not easy to pull off. You, you have guys that you need to have it upstairs and you need to be able to process all of that stuff in order to do that. So that's why you have these guys, these incredible physical toolboxes. But when you're playing safety or you're playing linebacker, and the game has to slow down for you to for you to even use those things. It can be a transition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, but I, and I think he is scheme proof. I, I do think that uh, you know what you ask him because he has that the high IQ that you're looking for. I, I do yeah. think that he can adapt 
And, you know, he, he's not going to be someone that you're worried about. Now, I, I don't think you want to line him up in man coverage against the tight end and the slot receiver, uh, you know, every play. But I think he can at least do that. And, and you know, th these different things. If you if you took Isaiah Simmons and Justin Simmons and kind of put them together, I think the result would be Kyle Hamilton, you know, something that, that type of player. Interesting. That <laughs> sounds intriguing to me. I'm out I'm into that. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokers Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, here's where things get wild. You have Kenny Pickett, the quarterback from Pitt, going to the Panthers at number 10. There is a lot to unpack here for many different reasons. One, the Panthers will be paying Sam Darnold $18 million next year, no matter how this goes, because they picked up his fifth-year option. Two, the Panthers had a chance to draft two quarterbacks in the top 10 last year and not having to pay Sam Darnold any money, and they chose not to do it. Three, Kenny Pickett. I, I, I mean, I did not know his name coming into this season. This quarterback class is apparently all over the place. So let's just start with that question. Why Kenny Pickett? Why is he the first quarterback off the board to you in this class? Yeah, plus you factor in that they used a second-round pick this year to get Darnold, yes. so their first first two picks would essentially be for the quarterback. So yeah, it, it's 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 wild. Um, but you know, I look they 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 tried the the first round you know uh, former first round pick that didn't work out uh, with Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold and now Cam Newton. I mean, but it's just not working out. I mean, so what are your options? Do you 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 hope Aaron Rodgers is coming to Charlotte? But if he's not. You have to look towards the draft and see, okay, does a guy like Kenny Pickett, is he worth it for us? Kenny Pickett was, if he was going to be in last year's draft. Uh, he was a senior last year, was probably going to be somewhere in that fourth, fifth, sixth round range. He decides to take advantage of that COVID year, comes back to Pitt, and he, and he looks like Joe Burrow. And part of it is, and, and I, I did a long piece, a film room piece with Mark Whipple, his offensive coordinator, who spent a lot of time in the NFL. Uh, did an extensive film room piece on the athletics. So people can go check that out. Uh, it's really insightful just to hear him, you know, the big differences between Pickett last year and this year and how he's improved and how experience is, you know, the more you see is it, just, it, it changes the way you play the game. And so with Kenny Pickett having that extra year of experience, I, it, it just has really changed the way he plays. And they, they really, they run an offense similar to how uh, Joe Burrow ran an offense at LSU. A lot of five man protections. You're really putting it all on your quarterback to decipher the defense, understand where the pressure is coming from, uh, you know, read with your eyes up while you're moving, negotiating the pocket. And Kenny Pickett's been able to do that. There are some clips where, you know, you see him throw off platform and he's making these accurate throws where it needs to be. Um, and so it's just, it's, it's a, when you talk to scouts, when you get league feedback, uh, definitely a lot of love for, for Pickett in terms of, we know what we're getting with him. We feel mm -hmm. like he's, he's an NFL starter. We don't, 
we're, we're not quite sure on his ceiling, but we feel like he's an NFL starter and we feel like we know the type of human being that's coming into our building and the, what he's going to give us. And so that's, there's value on that for teams looking for the quarterback position. And that's why Kenny Pickett at least has a chance to be the first quarterback off the board. Uh, now he's the big things against him. We're going to hear about hand size a lot. He's got eight and a half inch hands below average. I don't think you necessarily my hands are terrible. Right, uh, exactly. It, it, below nine inch hands is kind of rare to see. I mean, Troy Aikman had traditional or uh, historically smaller hands for a bigger quarterback, but it just doesn't happen very often. He wears gloves, you know, the Teddy Bridgewater thing. Um, and but you don't really see the smaller hands show up uh, w- with him as a passer. Now, as a runner at ball security, you do. He has got like 35 career fumbles. That's something you take into a, into a, uh, account here with uh, with Pickett. Uh, he, you know, he'll force throws at times. His, his deep ball accuracy is average. But he doesn't have a fatal flaw to his game where you say, well, I really worry about this translating to that next level. So when you factor in, you know, he just, he doesn't have a lot of wow factor, but when you factor in the football IQ, the functional mobility, uh, accuracy from various platforms, you see a guy that I, I think he falls somewhere in between Joe Burrow and Teddy Bridgewater. He's somewhere in between those two quarterbacks uh, as a prospect and, and as a next level projection. And so each team's going to look at this a little bit differently. Do you feel like in the conversations that you've had just about the quarterback position in general and as it relates to this class, do you think the success that Joe Burrow and Mac Jones have had over the last couple of years is going to color the way that people see the guys we would deem low ceiling prospects? Right. The high floor, the, yeah, I think that's, that is something that, you know, just like we talked about, you know, Devin Lloyd and Micah Parsons. I, I absolutely, I think that's something that there's a lot of recency bias and we're seeing guys that maybe not have that wow factor in a Joe Burrow, uh, in a Mac Jones, still have success because, you know, the play calling is putting them in position to be successful. Um, and, you know, the guys, you know, they're they're leaning on their strengths as a quarterback. And it might not necessarily be the guys that have the low 40-yard uh, dash numbers, the guy that can throw it through a brick wall, but they're smart and they process quickly and they understand what to do with the ball. They understand what the defense is trying to do. And that's what Kenny Pickett offers. And so I I liked Kenny Pickett a lot last year. I thought that, you know, he was going to be a mid-round guy. I'd love to draft him, that type of thing, but never thought he would make this type of jump. And it, 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 it's going to be interesting ultimately where he ends up. And, you know, which the whole quarterback conversation is going to be interesting. Where does Matt Corral end up? And Sam Howell, are these guys first-rounders? It's, it, it's, I'm not sure what to think of it right now because all the league feedback I get is all over the place. I think Pickett has received the most votes in terms of we feel comfortable with him. Um, but that's comfortable with him is not exactly the most ringing endorsement you're going to hear. So it, it's just a really weird quarterback group. So you have Sam Howell going at 16 to Pittsburgh. You have Matt Corral going at 19 to Washington. Let's just talk about Sam Howell as a prospect. I, he's somebody that had been talked about as potential top five, top 10 pick before the season. Now you have him in the middle of the first round. I don't know how real any of that is. But right. where would you say his 2021 and how what sort of impact has that had on the way the people in the league view him? Well, it, it looks like a, a very different offense. Uh, you know, last year, obviously, with those two running backs, uh, Javante Williams and, and Michael Carter mm-hmm. um, and the, the, the running, you had two guys uh, receiver drafted. I mean, it just looks like a different offense this year where they're asking him to use his legs a lot more. There's a lot more horizontal passes uh, in this offense. And I think a, a big part of it is just. 
uh, you know, they, they, they're not asking him to do too much because I don't think the people, the supporting cast around him uh, is really capable of that. And so, you know, whether it's the offensive line or his weapons, it's kind of holding him back a little bit with Sam Howell, but I know teams are still, they're bullish on him. They, they still believe like this guy, he, you know, since he showed up as a freshman at North Carolina, you could tell he's a little bit different. And so he's, he's got the, the arm, he's got the mobility. He has like 600 yard rushing games this year, just because of how they're using him. It, it's really, really weird. Um, and so I don't know that, you know, th- like this year's it's not going to necessarily help him, but I think teams are, you know, I've said before, there's, you know, reasons and excuses I think that the situation he's been in has been more of a reason than an excuse, and teams are still going to value him, uh, you know, fairly high. In the, in it, somewhere, uh, some teams view him in the first round. Some teams think he's more of a second rounder, but they still see a guy that can come in and start games in the NFL. He's a little undersized, right? Is he only like six foot six one? Yeah, yeah, he's not a big guy. I mean, he's he's like kind of like a little like Baker size wise, where he's, That's, he's that was not, my thought. Yeah, yeah, not small, you know, but he's not tall either. Okay, and then with Corral. What's the story with him? Uh, and, and obviously, he's somebody that, again, has had a pretty good year, right? I mean, that old Miss offense has been exciting. I remember talking about him as just an exciting guy coming into the, into the season. I remember Andy Staples said, if you weren't a college football fan, he's somebody that you'd want to watch just because yep. of the entertainment factor that he brings. What sort of season has he had? Do you feel like he could be somebody that jumps these other two guys? Where are we at with Matt Corral? Yeah, me personally, Matt Corral is actually my number one quarterback in his class. Okay. Um, you know, just part of that is the, the traits that he offers. Everything he does is quick. His feet, his his eyes, uh, the way he processes things, he just, all the decision making, it's very quick. And so athleticism is a big part of his game, you know, cha- you know throwing from different platforms. Um, everything he does is quick and natural. And it, the tough thing is that Lane Kiffin offense. You know, it's a, it's a very RPO based offense, a lot of predetermined reads, uh, you know, where, you know, he, he, Corral knows before the snap where he's going based off of the look he's getting for the defense. He knows where to go with the football. And so, you know, there are some questions about his ability to read post snap and things like that, that he needs to get better as a pocket quarterback. And the other big issue with him is size. I mean, he is looks about he's like 205 pounds. It's it, there's a lot of parallels with Zach Wilson from a year ago in terms of not being the biggest guy plays, you know, really quick, almost frenetic at times. Uh, but it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, part of what makes him a, a really exciting player, a really capable quarterback. It's just that projection to more of a pro style scheme. And I don't even know what pro style means anymore, but you know, pr- that transition to the NFL where he's going to have to make more post snap reads from within the pocket. He's going to have to do more than just, uh, you know, m- work outside the pocket and, you know, use his legs to make plays. Uh, it's it a little bit of a projection there, but the talent level is really exciting. I mean, huge difference between him and Zach Wilson, right? It's just level of competition we get to see him against every single week. I mean, that was such yeah. a huge question with Wilson where it's, you know, that one game against Houston. And other than that, yeah. you don't really see him playing against defenses that had NFL level talent. It feels like Corral probably does that every single week, right? Right. And the thing with Matt Corral is, you know, last year interceptions were, were a problem. And this year he's really cut down on those. And so making better decisions. Ole Miss is, you know, they, they 10 wins this year for the first time ever. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it, a big reason for that has been the quarterback and what Matt Corral has been able to do kind of running that ship. Last thing with the quarterbacks, any dark horse first rounders, any guys that you feel like could make a big jump between now and May 1st? Well, you know, it, it, it's tough because I, and I was talking to a scout earlier today who, you know, we we're going over my mock and I asked him, I was like, okay, top 25 over under two and a half quarterbacks drafted and without any hesitation, he's like, Oh yeah, under, under, under. 
And, you know, it just, it, it, it's weird because, you know, uh, history says these quarterbacks will get pushed up. We could actually have, it's only happened like twice in the last 20 years where we've had more quarterbacks drafted day two than day one. That could absolutely happen this year. It's, but it's very rare. You know, that second round quarterback that ends up being a starter, you know, we kind of touched on it earlier. It just doesn't happen very often. And so, uh, you know, will we see a little bit more of that this year? It's possible. Guys like Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati, who, you know, is a, is a really uh, experienced player. He's a mobile guy. You wish he had more meat on the bones. You wish his accuracy was a, a little, uh, not a little. You wish his accuracy was a lot more consistent. Um, <laughs> but he, he's just, he's scattershot. You know, he, he's got yeah. this this long release and it's just, uh, he knows where to go with the football, but the placement's not always there. Um, but there's a lot to like about Desmond Ritter. And so Malik Willis from Liberty, same type of thing where the, the talent level is really exciting. It's just, you know, how much further does he have to go before he's ready to start for an NFL team? Uh, you know, it's, it's, all these quarterbacks have questions. There's not going to be any consensus. You know, it's funny. Last year, I didn't think we had any consensus with those quarterbacks, you know, with Trevor Lawrence and Trey Lance and Justin Fields and Wilson and Mac Jones. We didn't have any consensus on those guys, but they were all top 15 picks. These guys, we don't have any consensus on them, and none of them might be top 15 picks. It's just they're going to be those late ones, uh, mid to late one, early twos. And so each team's going to look at them a little bit differently. Outside of those five uh, quarterbacks, you know, we'll have to see what underclassmen, maybe uh, a Carson Strong will come out from Nevada. The only thing I worry about with him, he's going to be off some boards because his knee, the medicals are pretty bad. Um, the senior class, you know, Bailey Zappi from Western Kentucky, he's got a chance. Bailey to be a, what? Bailey Zappi. Uh, Houston <laughs> Baptist transfer <laughs> to Western Kentucky. That you, you think I'm making that a name up. I know, but no, that's a real guy. Uh, this is why I love this process. Just being able to stumble (laughs) out of these guys with no prior knowledge is one of my favorite parts of being a football fan. If there's a fourth or fifth rounder in this class who ends up kind of, you know, making some noise, you know, being a a Taylor Heineke type of guy, it may be, maybe it's Bailey, Bailey Zappi, uh, in the, in the mid rounds. There's a long conversation to be had on this podcast about the Steelers, about their future quarterback plan, about their future plans in general. I'm not going to do that to you. We're going to save that for a future show. But that and Washington. I mean, I think that those two teams being the ones you had reaching for a quarterback in that spot makes sense. It makes sense based on what they might need, about where they are. Again, that's a conversation for the next six months or so. The last specific pick I wanted to talk to you about was Garrett Wilson going to the Saints at 13. That, that pipeline is strong. <laughs> a Columbus <laughs> yep. to Metairie pipeline is, is a lot of juice there. He, I've heard a ton about him. I obviously have seen him play multiple times, that catch against Michigan. He seems to be doing that kind of stuff all the time. Makes sense with the Saints, right? I mean, you, even with right. Michael Thomas coming back, it, the, just the black hole that their receiving group has been this season. They need playmakers. But I wanted to kind of use him as an entry point to talk about this group of playmakers in general. Because we're now two years in a row, three years in a row, having conversations about this being the deepest wide receiver class we've ever seen. seems like it's an annual thing. This is the first pass catcher you have coming off the board at 13. I think there are four or five in your back half of your first round. But where does this group of pass catchers stack up to the last couple classes that we've seen? Yeah, I remember talking about this this with you last year about how every year wide receivers just it's going to be a strong group. And, you know, I don't know that this year is necessarily better than the previous two years. I don't think it is, but it's still one of the stronger positions in, in this class because of the talent that the college ranks are continually giving to the NFL. 
when they're what they're five receivers in my first round mock. And, and that didn't include Jahan Dotson from Penn state who I hated leaving out of there. So it's just, it's another strong group of pass catchers that, uh, you know, there's some different opinions about who should be one to me. It's, Maybe not clearly Garrett Wilson, but I feel very comfortable having him as the top receiver. Not the biggest guy, six foot, maybe 190. Uh, but his ability, his body control is special. I mean, there, and I, I, I don't use the word special very often, but I'm talking about, you know, the DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins, the Des Bryant, that level of just body control with the way he controls his movements mid air or in his routes at the, at the stem, all those things. He does it really flawlessly. Uh, and then his instincts with the ball in his hands, he can make guys miss. And that's, you know, I get a lot of questions from Ohio State fans. Why Garrett Wilson over Chris Olave? Biggest reason for me is Wilson is a lot better after the catch. He gives you a, a, some yak potential where Olave is he's just not a tackle breaker. He's not going to not going to continue consistently give you that yards after the catch where Garrett Wilson, he can make guys miss. Uh, he does it, you know, frequently, almost every single play. He's a true three level threat, a three level threat. And I think that's why I think he'd be a perfect fit. Uh, in in New Orleans, but then I mean Traylon Burks from Arkansas, uh, he's a unique guy. He looks like a linebacker, 6'2", 225, and he's going to run really well. There's a lot of ability there. He's kind of in that AJ Brown mold as a as a wide receiver. Uh, that type of guy, Drake London, is the the high pointer, the basketball player who can play above the rim consistently. Uh, not he's not a bad athlete. He's, he's a fluid guy, but he might not be the you know the the best separator but he consistently wins over defensive backs easy to like him. I think he's, he's going to be somewhere in that 20 to 35 range. And then one of the more interesting guys is Jamison Williams, who was in that Ohio state uh, wide receiver room. Olave goes back to school. Jamison Williams transfers, goes to Alabama. He becomes the Crimson Tide's number one uh, threat at wide receiver. And he's one of the most explosive players in college football. He's going to run in the mid four threes. Uh, He is just true explosion out there shot out of a cannon. Um, it's going to be interesting how all these receivers, uh, kind of shape up. It just, it depends what kind of receiver you're looking for size wise, the strengths, what they offer. Um, they all offer something maybe a little bit differently. So the order is going to be different from team to team, but it's, it's a pretty uh, exciting group. Imagine telling you two years ago that you would transfer to Alabama to get more opportunities as a receiver. Yeah. It's, it's pretty yeah. crazy. So what Ohio state may be the one school where that, where that would be the case. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. You mentioned, you know, Deandre Hopkins in, in relation to Garrett Wilson. And you think, Oh man, only six foot one ninety five. Like you can compare him to Deandre Hopkins, Deandre Hopkins at the combine six foot two fourteen, ran a four, five, seven forty. Oh Yeah. This shit is hard. <laughs> speak, speak, speaking of that 2013 draft, right? I mean, that was uh, Tavon Austin went top 10 and then DeAndre Hopkins went late first round that year. I mean, I it's mean, just. He's one of those guys where it's eye of the beholder stuff. Like you got to truly appreciate just the the subtleties, and the nuances of what makes him a great receiver. And it's it's, that, it's the body control stuff, right? It's the stuff that yeah. does not come out when you're looking at physical testing. He is much smaller than you think. He's slower than you think. And he is dominant at the position because of the way that he plays it and it feels like Garrett Wilson could be a similar kind of guy all right last thing here we got conference championship games this weekend we got a lot of great college football on tap I don't even have to make up like a hypothetical listener for you to do this to you can say this straight to me as a casual college football fan and a draft lover which game should I be tuning into this weekend well, it starts on Friday night, uh, the Pac-12 championship game, Oregon and Utah. Two of the guys we talked about in the top six picks, Kayvon Thibodeau 
Hey, number five, he usually lines up to the boundary. Uh, he was quiet two weeks ago when these two teams played. So I'm eager to see him go back out there. Okay, you just saw this this team, this offense, this offensive line. You just saw them two weeks ago. How are you going to respond this uh, this time around for Thibodeau? And then uh, how's Utah's Utah? offensive line? Uh, average. I mean, okay. I, they, they've got one guy in the interior that might go pro, but uh, it's not. It, it, I, I don't think it's a group that you're looking at and saying, okay, okay. this is. Uh, NFL quality. And then for Utah, we talked about him, Devin Lloyd at linebacker uh, sports that number zero Jersey. He was outstanding against Oregon two uh, two weeks ago. They didn't have any, any answer for him. The running game, you could tell the running backs are just getting frustrated because Lloyd was getting to them <laughs> in the backfield consistently. So watch those two defensive players in the uh, Pac-12 championship game. That's Friday night. And then on Saturday, uh, SEC title game, Georgia, Alabama, this is going to be a lot of fun. Alabama, I, they couldn't do much against Auburn's defense. It's going to get even tougher against Georgia's defense. If you haven't watched Georgia's defense, it's, it's a lot of fun. Every so I've single... been saving it. I, I've oh, been okay. saving it. I, I have not settled in to truly watch it this year. Every time they've been on, it's when I have not been sitting by a TV. Like The timing of it just hasn't worked out well. I'm yeah. making a point this weekend. I'm curling up on the couch. I'm going to watch them play because I, I really need to. Like Jordan Davis, you know, the, the, all the other guys that we've talked about, I really have not gotten to watch them as much as I want to. So this and the playoff, I'll be watching a decent amount of Georgia football here over the next month or so. It's, it's so much fun to, to watch them play. Uh, and they, they sub a lot, so those guys are fresh. Um, I think I had, what, three Georgia or four Georgia defenders in my top 20. Um, it, it's just a really fun group. They're, but they're one area where they're maybe a little lean is corner. You know, they lost uh, what Stokes and uh, Anderson uh, in the draft uh, in the draft. And so, you know, they uh, have some younger guys out there and maybe that's one area where you can attack them. If you're Bryce Young, Alabama's run game is, is kind of a mess right now. with a lot of injuries. And so it's just really going to be tough for Alabama to score points. But very eager to see if Jamison Williams, uh, John Mechie, the two receivers for Alabama, if they can make some noise. Because uh, that's that's how that's Alabama's only shot. They have to you know win with those receivers. Uh, those are the playmakers on that team. Uh, Does Houston, George have an edge rusher to watch against Evan Neal? That, a matchup that you think would be worth watching, or no? So they, they don't really use uh, edge rusher the way that you want them to. Like Trevon Walker, uh, number forty four, two hundred seventy five pounds, and he moves like he's two fifteen. He, gotcha. He's just got this ridiculous body control, but they don't line him up and say, just go get the quarterback. Uh, they, they like to blitz a lot with their linebackers. Nakobe Dean, they'll, they'll uh, blitz with him a lot. Quay Walker. Uh, so, you know, Devontae uh, Wyatt, number 95, he's kind of uh, not as good version of uh, 99 Jordan Davis, but he's pretty darn good. Going to go in the third <laughs> round. So, yeah, from top to bottom, this this defense is loaded. Uh, Lewis seen at number 16, the safety. You'll see him flying around. So, Georgia defense, they, they might have 10 draft picks this year alone. It's just awesome. crazy loaded. Um, Houston at Cincinnati, I think it's worth checking out just to see Desmond Ritter. If you want to see him throw around, throw the ball around a little bit. Um, Michigan versus Iowa later on, just to check in Aiden Hutchinson. Also need to check out David Ajabo, the other defensive end for Michigan, who had the Browns taking at number 15 overall. Great story. You know, uh, he, he's kind of this year's Jason Oway, where started playing football as a junior in high school, uh, you know, just doesn't have the background of, you know, playing football at a young age and learning. And so he's still figuring things out. The big difference between Ajabo and Owe, Owe had that big zero next to Sachs last year. <laughs> Ojabo's got nine already. So this guy is a freak and he's got the production to back it up. So can Iowa do anything to slow down Hutchinson on one side, Ojabo on the other? I don't think they'll be able to, but it's still fun to watch those guys. 
I'm uh, be and locked th- into the center. I mean, I'm gonna be watching the Iowa Center all day. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> there. That that'll that'll be a big part of what they do. Uh, because they look to control the line of scrimmage, and it'll be tough to do that. Uh, they're gonna use uh, Tyler Goodson a lot, the running back. Pitt and Wake Forest uh, that last game. Um, just like you know, worth checking out Cincinnati to see Desmond Ritter. Worth tuning into Pitt to see uh, uh, Kenny Pickett. He's got a chance at the Heisman. You know, he he really does. There's no clear cut winner this year. I'm hoping. That uh, you know the defensive guys, Aiden Hutchinson, Will Anderson uh, from Alabama, those one of those two guys can get enough love. So really, and that, that's something else to watch this weekend. Can Will Anderson or Aiden Hutchinson really have that that Heisman moment where they take over a game? And uh, you could argue they've already done that, been doing it all year. But for a defensive player to win the Heisman, they're going to have to continually do that, especially on the biggest weekend of the year for the schedule. Well, it's uh, my goal and my challenge here over the next four or five days is to convince uh, my roommate that I need to watch college football for like 12 hours on Saturday <laughs> before watching the NFL for 12 hours on Sunday. I'll make it happen. I, I, I can yeah. get it done. So I it's for work. feel like this is the week to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I will. I definitely want to watch Kenny Pickett. I definitely want to watch quarterbacks and that Georgia defense. I've had it circled for a while. So I'm excited to watch all that stuff. If you guys are not big-time college football watchers. Even if you are, please take this as a guide. Dane, thank you very much, sir. Really appreciate you doing this. And guys, please be on the lookout as we get toward draft season, as we get toward the end of the NFL season for prospects to pros as it comes into the feed. Really, really pumped to have that as part of the rotation and part of the Athletic Football Show family and just the coverage that we give you guys overall. So I appreciate you doing that, man. Anytime. Thanks, Robert. All right, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with Lindsay. In the meantime, please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Please subscribe to The Athletic. That's where you can go check out Dane's first mock draft, all the other NFL coverage that we have coming to you guys every single day. We'll be back tomorrow. Talk to you guys soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.